0: All right let's uh let's pray lord jesus we pray for the voice of your holy spirit to be clear to us today we also pray uh that you would be loud loud enough to for us to hear uh, lord i pray that you'd fill my mouth with words that uh, are your words and there would be an anointing that would cover my humanity and allow your spirit to shine through. Lord God, let your words come alive to us today. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. As I said earlier, we're going to conclude today our, I'm not even sure if it's actually a series, but our time that we've been spending talking about the kingdom of God. And as I said earlier, this all began several weeks ago when uh, I felt like that uh that a lot of people had put their confidence in the results of an election or elections not or even in some cases they put confidence in a person or a group of persons and while we while we definitely as american citizens while we We definitely have a mandate from God to seek the welfare of wherever it is we live. And one of the ways you seek the welfare of where you live is to be involved in the process. But that is a secondary mandate that we have. And our primary mandate is to go and make disciples. And we do that by communicating the qualities of God's kingdom out there. I keep referring to this book I'm reading called uh, the, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. But he keeps pointing out and contrasting in the early years, the contrasting a pagan Roman Greek culture that infanticide and abortion was not only accepted but encouraged. It was actually commanded by some. And especially if it was a girl baby... The girl babies, they just take them down the street and lay them down somewhere, and whatever happened, happened. And and he he keeps contrasting this kind of a mentality to the Christian mentality of that day, who for you know went by the scripture, according to scripture, and uh, forbade all of that. And and there's just a, a glaring difference between the two cultures, and what we as God's people are doing. Is we're bringing this kingdom and not just the kingdom, but the value of this kingdom and the qualities of this kingdom. We're bringing them with us wherever we go. You know, this, you can't, you don't limit your involvement in God's kingdom on Sunday morning, but it's where you work. It's where you play. It's where you live. It's all of the above and I want to see God's people, not just our people, but all God's people. I want to see uh, his church as that army that is going out into the culture and bringing with us seeds of the kingdom. We have to start off today by, of course, the title is The Magnificent Value of the Kingdom of God. We have to start off top button, top hole by saying we can never separate The kingdom from the king. We can, and, and this is very important because you can get to talking about the kingdom of God so much that the kingdom of God becomes the focus. And it, in some ways it should be, but you can't have a focus on the kingdom of God without the focus on the king. Because the king, the king determines what the kingdom looks like. Now, how many of you would like a little history lesson about the Andy Griffith show? <laughs> I'll see if I can find somebody. <clears throat> when they were, when they were filming the pilot for the Andy Griffith show, uh, back in 1959, it was an episode of the Danny Thomas show. Now, now I'm going to give just a few hands when I say, how many of you remember the Danny Thomas show? Well, more than I thought. It, one point it was called Make Room for Daddy. But the Andy Griffith show, the pilot was, it was an episode of the Danny Thomas show. And, uh, and they, when they were filming it, Danny Thomas was, uh, he was Italian. He was from Toledo, Ohio. He was very volatile. He was a lot of things. And so it was very common while they were on the set for there to be yelling and screaming and throwing things and stomping around and, pitch and fits and uh, my wife worked for an Italian family one time I'm not going to name who they were she'd come home from work she said all they ever do is yell and scream at each other but she realized after a while that was just that's just the way they handled things. Well this went on for about a, a, however long they were filming this pilot and and uh, Andy Griffith went to Sheldon Leonard uh, who was the producer. Of the Andy Griffith Show, and yes, for you Big Bang Theory fans, Sheldon and Leonard were named after him on the show. But he said, "I don't know if I can stand this." You know, Andy's a you know peaceful guy from North Carolina, country boy, and he said, "I don't, I can't stand this kind of atmosphere. I'm, a, I can't live with this." And Sheldon Leonard told him an interesting thing. He said, uh, "Andy, this is Danny's show. You're you're in an episode on the Danny Thomas Show, but it's his show." When it's your show, you set the tone. you set the atmosphere. Of course you hear testimony down through the years of people saying even though they were in one or two episodes, it's the best atmosphere they've ever been in because it was set by the star. Kingdom of God's the same way. the kingdom atmosphere and the kingdom qualities are set by the king. And so we cannot, and we should not, and we will not separate this kingdom from the king of this kingdom. Uh, Revelation 19 tells us on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. First Timothy 1.17, it says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Jesus told Pilate, If my kingdom Were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. (laughs) I think some of God's people think that his kingdom is of this world. Because they seem to be fighting all the time. And they're fighting one another. And they're fighting the media. And they're fighting everybody on Facebook. Facebook should have ropes around it. For like a boxing ring. And other social media. My kingdom. He said, repeat that, my kingdom. Now he's saying it's his kingdom. And we need to we really need to keep that focus. And so today as we close out these messages regarding God's kingdom, we're going to focus in on the special value of this kingdom from heaven, or the fact that it has a special value to us and to everyone else. Uh, if you want to turn to Matthew thirteen uh, we're going to read verses 44 through 52. I'm not going to read a thing till I get my glasses on. Um, and I'm reading, once again, from the English Standard Version. If you would mind standing while we read the Scripture, um, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew to shore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old, you can be seated. We're we're going to briefly touch on all of those, but don't worry. Uh, we'll have you out of here before two at least. <laughs> he starts off by t- talking about this hidden treasure found. Hidden treasure. This man finds this treasure as he's going a- along his way. He finds this treasure, and he's so enamored with it, That he hides it again. Now don't, I said last week or I said recently, don't get too tied up in the details of parables. The details are not what Jesus is after. What Jesus is after is the main point. And the main point was this treasure that this man found. He said the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure this guy found is that he hid it in the parable. He hid it, went and got enough money, bought that field so he could go back. When he bought the field, he got the treasure. It was worth that much to him. Well, you say hidden treasure. How many of you know sometimes God purposely doesn't allow us to see everything at once? You'd have smoke coming out your ears. If you could see and understand it all at once, it's just not going to happen. And little by little as the children of Israel going into the promised land, little by little he lets us see. He lets us perceive. But Jesus told uh, Nick at night, Nicodemus, he said, unless you are born again, you cannot see or perceive the kingdom of God. So this kingdom is hidden from human comprehension. It's hidden, the kingdom of God is hidden from just our natural eye or just our natural intellectual thinking. You, the kingdom of God makes no sense to normal human reasoning. He said, he said, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. In other words, Jesus is saying, the way up is down, and the way down is up. Now is that backwards or what? The kingdom of God cannot be processed with normal human reasoning, but it can be seen and perceived by our spirit when our spirit has been born again from above by the spirit of God. Then we see. We see what we couldn't see. And you you and I, when we were born again, assuming that we have been, and I'm assuming everyone has, but you and I, When we were born from above by the Spirit of God, something changed within us. Ephesians tells us that we were made alive together in Christ. Your Spirit came alive. And when your Spirit came alive, you saw something that you couldn't see before. It was hidden from human comprehension. Now, Jesus uses this Parable, this example of treasure, hidden treasure, in, in, in the treasure that was found, because he knows that in the Jewish culture, in, in rabbinic law, uh, it's different than you and I think. We think, okay, when I find a million dollars laying, you know, on the sidewalk, uh, I, at least I hope we do this, I want to know who it belongs to. I want to know where I can take it to put it into the hands of its rightful owner, but in the rabbinic law, this was not the case. This is what the rabbinic law says: What finds, what finds belong to the finder, and what finds must one cause to be proclaimed. These finds belong to the finder. If a man finds scattered fruit or scattered money, etc., these belong to the finder. In other words, this is where the phrase comes from: Finders keepers, losers weepers. Well, it doesn't it come from there. But that's what it is. Is <laughs> <laughs> If, in a Jewish rabbinic law context, if you found money or if you found fruit, and this and that's what it says, if you found something, you didn't go look to see who it belonged to, it was yours. It was yours to keep. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, I'm not even going to get started on that. But it's true. And that was the, the way they did it. And so Jesus knew this when he said this parable, the hidden treasure. He knew that this, if a guy found the treasure, it was his. Now he, if he didn't own the field, I don't know, maybe need to go buy it. But he's using this, this, uh, idea of finding this hidden treasure to give us the main point. And here's the main point. The main point is the joy of discovery. That made this man willing to give up everything to make this treasure his own. I don't miss that. That's, that's the, that's the main point of this parable and really and truly the next one as well. It's, it's the joy of discovery that made him go and give up everything to make this treasure his own. When you and I are born from above by the Spirit of God and we see His kingdom, we see His rule in our life, His reign in our life, and the righteousness and the peace and the joy that comes out of that relationship, we're going to do anything. We're going to do anything to get that to be a part of our lives. If we're not willing to do anything to have God's rule and reign in our lives, we don't really see the kingdom. We don't really see it. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But that's the main point. I said last week, I'll say it again today, that the kingdom of God, according to Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, kingdom of God is God's will being done on earth like it is in heaven. Kingdom of God, if we're if we're uh, functioning in the kingdom of God, if we're being obedient, then God's will being done on earth like it is in heaven, according to Jesus' praying, is what the kingdom of God is. Now we in the Western world, we don't think about kings and we don't think about kingdoms. I mean, we watch the royal family. Well, maybe we do. I don't know, but we wonder, but we don't, we can't relate to having a king or a queen. Uh, quite honestly, I'll get on my soapbox for about five seconds here. Quite honestly, we have turned the presidency of the United States into a kingship. We've made our president a king. And our founders never intended for that to happen. Never intended. Uh, guys I listen to on podcast call it PWS, Presidential Worship Syndrome. Anyway, I'll get off of that. His His will being done in the earth like it is in heaven. To embrace this treasure of God's kingdom, it means to lay down, laying down of certain aims and certain ambitions that we would hold dear. Jesus said, count the cost. You know what that tells me? There's a cost. If you're going to have to count it, there must be one. And I must be, if I'm going to have Jesus as my king... I've got to be willing to get some of me out of the way and ultimately all of me out of the way or he can't be king over me. And I assume you're the same way. And for us to walk in this in this kingdom and to embrace this treasure, now stop thinking of the kingdom of God as a bucket of, of gold and silver and jewelry, but the treasure is Jesus himself the treasure is the king of this kingdom. And for you and for me to embrace this treasure and all that it entails, then we've got to be willing to abandon certain ways of life that will conflict with God's will. If you want to enjoy the fullness of of Jesus being your king, you and I have to be willing to say there's some lifestyles and some life decisions that I cannot accept because they're in direct conflict with what Jesus says with his word. And I understand that if I accept a lifestyle or a life decision that is in conflict with what God says, well, now I have accepted less than what God has for me. I've settled. I can't do that. I want to embrace the treasure. I mean, the treasure is righteousness. I mean, the qualities of the treasure is righteousness. It's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is marked by forgiveness and reconciliation. The kingdom of God is hope. It's joy. That's so much different than what we see in a godless culture. A godless culture. Jesus says more than one place, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. We, to embrace that treasure, we deny ourselves. I mean, this guy, he was willing to go sell, sell something and to, be, to where he could buy this field. He had to deny himself of something to be able to buy the field. By the way, when you, when you buy the field of the kingdom of God, when, I'm doing quotations. When you buy the field of the kingdom of God, you get me. That was supposed to be, you, the field, you, see, in other words, you got the whole field. You buy, you buy me and you buy these people and you buy those watching at home and you buy anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. They're part of the field. I that may change your mind about whether you want to buy it or not, but, I said many times this pastoring thing would be a lot easier if it wasn't for people but I'll I'll, I'll conclude this section with this statement and that is that it is indeed worth giving up everything to accept and to do the will of God it is worth the value the magnificent value is far greater than the alternative as we and when we think about life situations, when we think about uh, life happens, and there's another bumper sticker that I can't say in public. Actually, I don't want to say it in private either. But uh, life happens, and there's okay. Somebody needs to hear this because just because God is going to redeem your situation. And as I said earlier, God's going to save you in the midst of your situation. Your situation may not change. So we, we think, and it does sometimes. It does change, but sometimes God just lets us stay right in the same stuff. But we're, we're victorious. We're overcomers because we have we overcome the situation. He doesn't change the situation. We Some people say, well, how can you, as you're facing this, Stephen and Valerie got a grandson in the hospital right now, heart surgery, and it's touch and go. So how they so say, how can you have joy and hope knowing that, and it makes it worse that because of, oh, Lord, I'm glad I didn't say what I almost said, because of the pandemic, Makes it worse, they can't even go to the hospital. How can you get through that with joy and with hope and peace? It's because of the treasure. It's because you embrace the treasure and you see the king of the kingdom is your treasure and you can get through it and then you can take that same coin and flip it over and you'll find a family that has no hope, that has no peace. Hmm. I did a funeral one time. I'm not going to get into too too much of a detail because it's kind of gruesome. But I did a funeral one time for a little eight year old girl. She was saved right back there in our children's ministry, and about a couple months later, she was killed. <clears throat> I'm, Lord help me not to, what not to say here. Anyway, I did I did this funeral. And the family, the largest portion of this family uh, were not believers. The largest portion. matter of fact, it might have just been one or two people in that family, and I'm talking about the extended family were believers. and so naturally, eight-year- old girl, let me just say she died under some gruesome circumstances. I'm getting ready to do this funeral and this place is, you just never seen so much hopelessness and carrying on. And I don't mean carrying on in the sense that they were silly, but you just never see, I've never seen that many people with that little hope in one place at one time. And they were all over the chairs, falling all over, I mean, just crying and wailing and, and I understand grief. But I understand that we grieve not as those who have no hope. And these people had no hope. I had to calm that crowd down. Some of you probably were there. I had to calm that crowd down enough. I had to keep working them till I got them calmed enough that we could, we could have the service because they'd had no hope. Now the mama did. She recently passed away herself. The mama did and some of the, one or two of the others, but that was it. And I understood the treasure that day. If I didn't before, those of us who embrace the treasure realize that it's worth giving up everything to do his will. He goes into this next parable, which is very similar to the pearl of great price. The pearl is obviously the kingdom of God. It's priceless. And this guy sacrificed all that he had and he bought it. He sacrificed everything that he had so he could get this pearl of grape. Now contrast this person who's nameless. Of course, the rich young ruler is nameless. Contrast this person who's found the pearl of great price, the kingdom of God and the king. And contrast that with the young rich ruler who was given the same opportunity by the Lord himself. And instead of sacrificing all that he had to buy that pearl, he went away sad. And the reason he went away sad is because his stuff had him. And he couldn't give up his stuff. And he couldn't buy the pearl. There's a great verse in Proverbs 23, 23. says, buy truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. What do you buy it with? You give up you embrace the pearl, you embrace the treasure, you embrace the truth, and then you wisdom and understanding, and you do not sell it. In other words, you do not let it go. Whatever it costs you, whatever whatever you have to change the way you think, whatever you have to change the way you approach life. Whatever it is, you buy the truth and you do not sell it. You do not trade it. You do not taint it because it's a pearl. It's part of the pearl of great price. We understand that there are other pearls. There are a lot of things in our life that are good things. A lot of things that we would call pearls, little little pearls of life, like knowledge, which you could say education, education, uh, art, music, literature, serving our fellow man. These are all, all pearls, and there are lots of things in our life that are good things. And I'm not suggesting for one second that we cease doing any of those things. As a matter of fact, I would suggest we increase doing those things. But they're, they're not the pearl. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount... He says, seek, everybody say the next word, first. Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things, what are these things? The things that they felt like they needed. All these things will be added unto you. But seek first the pearl. Seek first the hidden treasure. Seek first the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in your heart of hearts. In seeking first the kingdom of God, we remove ourselves from the throne of our life and we allow room for the Lord Jesus to assume his proper place on the throne of our life. And then we allow him and his word to govern us and to govern our lives, and to direct us. And we realize that the supreme pearl is the willing obedience which makes us servants of God. The supreme pearl. Pearl of great price. How valuable is his kingdom in your life? How valuable is the king to you? I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and probably confident a little bit that we're not a congregation full of a bunch of people playing games with God. It's easy for for that to happen in church world, people just to play games with God. I, I don't think anybody around here is doing that. Are you embracing the treasure and the pearl? How valuable is it to you? Does it mean Everything. If Jesus said seek first the kingdom of God, then he saw it as the most valuable thing you have in your life is God's kingdom in your world. Well, then he talks about there's coming a day. Now, we covered a few weeks ago the parable of the weeds and the wheat. This is very similar to that parable. And that one of the lessons there is that only... At the end of the age, will all this be sorted out? You know, when we look around the world, when we look you know, in the in the media, when we look at people we know, when we go out into the community, we sometimes we always shake our heads. And uh, I, I love watching my wife look at Facebook. She just sits there and shakes her head the whole time. Every now and then, she says, "I don't have to say everything I think." And she hits the backspace button. But we, you look around and you wonder, what's going on in this world? Well, there's coming a day when that's all going to be sorted out. This is similar to the parable, as I said earlier, but the uniqueness of this parable is that it alludes to the church's responsibility to cast the gospel message before all of society. Unlike the parable of the weeds and the wheat, this parable says, see what it says in in uh, verse, uh, a king, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. It was cast into the sea. Our responsibility as God's people is to cast the net. It's God's business who's in the net, well, all people. It's God's business to sort it out. It's God's business to sort it out who, who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ and who are not. The parable of the weeds and the wheat said they're all growing together. Don't root them up. But it it explains why there's evil seed and good seed in the world. And this one says, throw the net, cast the gospel message before all of society, realizing it will attract all types of people, some of whom will be found unredeemed by the angels at the end of the age. Now, we may not like that. But we're not in charge. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Let's just say this. Some are going to make it and some are not. What do we do? Cast the net. Cast the gospel message. We pulled into, well, we went to Phil's friend's business yesterday. No, Friday. One day pool place up here and uh we 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 looked at we're gonna buy a kiddie pool and put behind our house no we're not (laughs) but they did have one there it's about that deep it's really nice in ground all the nice tile and everything and it's that deep (laughs) um Marquee out front, you probably see it when you pass it by, it says Romans one sixteen. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It just had Romans one sixteen. I just happened to have read that verse once and knew what it was. Not ashamed of the gospel, because... It, does, it doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it produces the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because somewhere inherent there we, the power of God arrives. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is. Everybody say it is. It is, it is the power of God. Under salvation. So when you and I share the gospel, that's the power of God. And guess what's so great about that? We're not in control. We don't have to manipulate the power of the gospel. The 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 Lord who gives us the gospel does that. All I got to do is cast the net. And then he finishes up with new and old treasures. The real lesson from this parable is this, and that is to use all the contents of the treasure chest. I used to use this. This used to be a principle that I used, and they did it today. Uh, when I was a worship leader back before they let me preach, uh, I was a worship leader, and I would use this as a principle that when I began to prepare, I don't—I never prepare as well as they do. But when I began to prepare for a worship time, I would always make sure I had some new songs and some old songs, or some new songs and an old song. Like I said, they—they they did that today. I would try to draw new and old out of my treasure chest. And that's not what that's not primarily what this verse is talking about, but it's a great principle in life. But it talks about the scribe in verse 52. He said, "Therefore every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven." And and really in the in the original there, that's every Old Testament scholar who's been trained. And what he's saying to his listeners It will apply to us too. What he's saying to his listeners is, you have the Old Testament, and now I'm the New Testament. Get the new, get the old. There are those, without naming names, there are those today who would discount the Old Testament as having no value, uh, as being non-applicable to our lives. And Jesus said, new and the old. New and the old. And you've heard this. I wish I knew who started it, but I can't take credit for it that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And they both go together. And Jesus is saying to these Old Testament scribes, you need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing because he's doing a new thing. He says now he's saying to you and to me that we need to embrace the entire counsel of God's word. I used to listen to the late Ern Baxter, and he would say, "Make sure whatever you think God has shown you from the Scripture, make sure it will rest in the what he called the cradle of the entire counsel of God, entire counsel of the Word. Make sure it would rest." Make sure it fits into the entire counsel of God's word. Because the easiest way for you to get into deception is to pull a verse out of the Bible and start making doctrines out of it. Out of context. I can prove to you with one verse that money is the answer to everything. I can do it. Because there's one verse that says money answers everything. If you allow me just to pull that out, out of context, but it, but I want to make that sit and rest in the entire counsel of God, the scripture. If it doesn't rest in the entire counsel of God in the scripture, then I've got to discount it. And Jesus is saying, you have, you have the entire counsel of God. You've got the old and you've got the new. And as you and I approach the scriptures, we have the old, and we have the new, and you can't discount any of it. It all goes together. And here's another thing: this is, this is uh, more of us crazy Maddics. Not so much anymore, but it used to be. It's it's also not going after every new thing to the exclusion of what has been settled. Every new thing, I, you know. When you start seeing things in the Holy Spirit, you start see, you start wanting to look for only that which is new. And boy Solomon had it right. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. We want to go after every new and exciting, whoo, thing. And Jesus is saying, uh, there's new things. They're not new to us, by the way. When you, when you see something new in the scripture, it's been there all along. You just saw it for the first time, but it's new to you and it's new to me by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. When you see that, then make sure that you embrace what's been there all along the Old Testament as well or what God said before. By the way, God never say anything that, that violates his word. Second Timothy, Paul is admonishing as Phil alluded to earlier, Paul is admonishing his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says to him, but as far, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now I'll just tell you, the from whom he learned it is his grandmother and his mother. They taught him. His father was a Greek. He was not a saved man, but his mother and his grandmother were, and they taught him the faith. He said, and and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's one we hear quoted a lot. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, is breathed out by God and profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or the person of God, the woman of God, may be complete, may be complete in the sense of, of, uh, maturity, equipped for every good work. I read that to end this because I think that Jesus is telling us in this parable and telling, He's telling the, the scribes definitely, hey, don't just Don't just embrace what the old is. Embrace the new, too. But I'm telling us that we as God's people, and we've probably talked about this several Sundays in a row now, that as we live in a society and in a culture where every week I hear of another church who is discounting the value of the Scriptures and discounting the embracing of the Scriptures as our standard of life and standard of living, I think Jesus is telling us embrace the old, embrace the new. Embrace it all together. And and don't forget what you've received from God, from the Word of God, and live your life accordingly. And then as Andy Taylor says, you can go out there and act like somebody. Stand with me.